This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hello. Hello and good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. Moira, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Moira and I'm from TACA, the Autism Community in Action. And I love movies and I love talking about them with Shannon. And I'm Shannon Penrod and I love talking about these movies and television shows and other things uh, with Moira. This is sort of the highlight of my month. And uh, I always look forward to it when we get a chance to talk about things. And ooh, I'm I'm so excited to talk about some of the movies that we have going on today. But I got I guess I got to start first, Moira, and ask you uh, if you have any updates for us from the fabulous Taka, because I know you guys just had a conference, and you've we, got you've had a lot going on. We've had a, a lot. It's been a busy, busy time for us. Um, we did our conference and it was it was successful. And I think a lot of people learned a lot of stuff. We're getting surveys in. If you attended the conference, please do the survey. We want to hear your feedback. Um, the recorded sessions are still available for purchase um, and they will be up in the platform that we use from November 21st till January 21st of 2023. So you will have plenty of time to watch the recorded sessions. Um, the PowerPoint slides are in there. I mean, it's it's a really great way for folks that maybe couldn't make it or you can't go to every single session or you may want to watch one again because there's so much yeah. information. So yeah, good stuff. <laughs> So where would they go, Moira, if they want to now purchase the watching the videos? Um, on the Taka website, there's a um, Taka conference uh, uh, pull down menu, and actually, it might even be one of the scrolling banners, and you can click through that, and there's a little button for purchase the recorded sessions. So, and it's Fantastic. fifty bucks bargain. That's <laughs> really amazing, you guys. So take advantage of that if you will. Uh, I, we had some people earlier in the week talking about the fact that they got to go to the conference and one person in particular said it was their first time ever going to any conference anywhere, which, uh, I, I oh. thought, wow, what an amazing thing. And she said she learned so much, Moira. So oh, I'm, that thank warms you guys my heart. for doing such a good, yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. So $50 to be able to have over two months, it's really three months, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, listening and watching those videos and picking and choosing what you want to watch again. It's pretty amazing, you guys. Really, really good deal. And then um, I know you guys have your Sensitive Santa coming up in December because uh, you just, yes. since we last met, you had your conference, you had your mm -hmm. anti-up poker tournament thing, which we went to and was just amazing. And you had your family fall festival fun. You guys have been busy. We've been very, very busy. I know it's kind of always a crazy time for us, the fall. And, uh, but yes, we have our sensitive Santa event. Um, and, you know, really just stay, keep checking the website. There's a lot of virtual content that's available. There are events and activities happening 
um, all over, you know, I mean, just see if there's something near you. If there's not something near you, like I said, the virtual offerings are terrific. And we have uh, always feature a monthly topic with pre-recorded sessions uh, uh, on a, on that particular topic. And I actually forgot to check what that topic was because I was so like <laughs> exhausted from this weekend. But um, that is a fabulous way to learn while you're sitting at home you know, or maybe sitting in a waiting room and you're watching something on your phone, right? I mean, Absolutely. we're all stuck in waiting rooms, right? <laughs> I, I say yeah. put them on when, when you're going to bed and laying down. And if nothing else, you know, if it relaxes you enough that you can go to sleep, uh, you know, use it as a meditation to go to sleep too. I, I always want, you remember the old stories about Edgar Casey that he could put a book underneath his pillow and go to sleep and he would wake up and supposedly know everything under the book. Sometimes I will sleep to things that I need to know. And I sort of have this waking memory of some of the things. It's not efficient, but it's not the worst mm -hmm. thing either. Uh, right. I also, am I allowed to say congratulations and, uh, you know, celebrate oh, warmly oh. for you guys that you're, it's your wedding anniversary? Yes, yes, yeah. 30 years. I, uh, like I said, I picked the right guy. I'm lucky. Or actually, he picked me. He knew first that that, that we were meant to be Smart together. Guy. It took me, took me a little while. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 30 years. And we're gonna, you know, just to celebrate that we had to, it was actually last week, but with the conference, it's like, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> I want to be able to relax. Well, absolutely. Yeah. We are so happy for you guys. And I, I'm glad that you're okay with sharing it because I think people need to know it's not everybody's story, um, mm -hmm. but it can happen. And yeah. uh, that, that, you know, there is this myth out there that marriages can't survive when you have uniquely abled children. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, there are many marriages that survive and many marriages that don't. No judgment on mm -hmm. anybody. You do the best that you can with what you have. But if you're lucky mm -hmm. like Moira and like I am and you marry the right person, there are lots mm -hmm. of marriages that, that not only survive but thrive through this process. But you got to have both yeah. people keyed in. I think that's yeah, Yeah, being yeah. on the same page, playing to your strengths, that's, that's definitely something we yeah. did divide and conquer, you know, whatever yeah. things that, you know, you're better focused at, you take point, you know, that's kind of the way we viewed it. Teamwork. And you guys <laughs> did, you used to do talks about this and it was one of the things that helped my husband and I, um, did it? Was, oh. it, it really did because you, I always quote you and say, cause you talked about, you know, somebody has to be the project manager and it can't be mm. both of you. And, mm -hmm. and cause I was getting into the resentment about how, why am I the person that's doing all the mm -hmm. research on this? And then you said, no, somebody has to be the project manager and it's your job to convey it back to mm -hmm. the other person while they're out making sure that there's enough, you know, so that you keep a roof over your head. And, right. and that all of a sudden that made more sense to me. And I came not from a place of resentment, but from being about part of my job is to communicate what he needs to know. And mm -hmm. then, you know, and I, sometimes, you know, I would, I would come to him and I would say, here's what I think we should do. Here's why, here's what I researched here. Here was this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he would go, well, I don't, I, I'm not sure. And I would go, well, then I've done all my research. If you want to do more research, you go ahead and do that. And he'd go, no, if you're good, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Um, cause I, cause I was like, no, I, I, you know, I did the research. If you're, you're going to take right. my point of view or you're going to go do more research on your own. 
right. but it helped us. It really helped us more. Oh, so I'm we're just, glad. And we're, know, only it's tw- we're 20 years in. <laughs> so, and that's yeah. good, but you're 30. You're, you've got 10 years yeah. on us. Yeah, it's 30, 30 years. It's weird. It's weird to think that, you know, it right? seems like yesterday and seems like a million years ago. It's both, yeah. you know, but yes, you know, I understand what stuff. you mean. But congratulations from all of us. And, and Thank thanks you. for being a good example. So it's time now for us to talk about what we have been watching and uh and and perhaps you guys can be writing in and telling us right now. We did pre-record this, but I'm watching with you live. You can write in and talk about some of the things that you're watching. We are taking requests, uh, and yeah. we've had people that have asked for us to watch certain things, and we even added a new category because somebody asked, so feel free to write in. Uh, but every month, we like to start with something that we both have seen, so you can kind of you know, a lot of times we're comparing different things, but there's at least one thing that we have both seen. And um, I have to say this was a little bit on my radar and then you suggested and I said, yes, okay, I will watch that. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. So, so do you want to wait in first, Moira? I, I will. I think, I think we're going to agree on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, uh, this, we watched Blonde, which is of course uh, about, Marilyn Monroe, but I'm going to say up front, this is not a biopic. This is not a biopic. This is based on a novel. It's a fictional account. Um, and it's by Joyce, Joyce Carol Oates. And uh, Anna de Armas plays Marilyn Monroe. And she is stunning and amazing in this role. However, that she is not given anything but hysterical fragile Marilyn to play and um and it seemed to me that Joyce Carol Oates and perhaps the director Andrew Andrew Dominic didn't really like Marilyn Monroe very much I mean I felt like wow it's just you know like I said it's a very one note portrayal and it was to me as exploitative as those in Hollywood who exploited Marilyn to begin with. And I don't know, I guess maybe that was the point. I don't know, but I, I was, wow, did we need to, do we need to do this? And, you know, they, it, again, because it's a novelization, the person Bobby Cannavale is playing uh, Joe DiMaggio, except in the credits, he's named ex-athlete, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I read an article about the director, uh, he also adapted the, the novel for the screen, Dominic, um, and wanted to show childhood trauma um, and how like having an absent father or mother who ends up, you know, in an asylum, how that would shape you. And then um, Norma Jean, you know, it would shape you as an adult. So Norma Jean Baker and Marilyn Monroe kind of showed this duality, this split between your public and private life or something, but it wasn't successful because it was only only fragile Norma Jean that we saw. I mean, I read several of Shelley uh, Winter's books. I don't know if she's written two or more, but I know I've read at least two of her books about her life in Hollywood. She was a ro- roommate with Marilyn Monroe. They were both kind of being groomed to be the bo- blonde bombshell. And she talked a lot about how smart Marilyn was and how um, fragile is, yes, but what that's what made her amazing as an actress was her vulnerability, but that she was super smart. And we never got to see that. 
And then there was this fictitious threesome that she allegedly had with with Charlie Chaplin's son and Edward G. Robinson's son or whatever that that didn't happen. And I it was I it just I was very disappointed and it was upsetting. Um and then just the whole like you would you know abusive rapey stuff that I'm like yeah I know a lot of that happened to her but I'm also like ah I don't know I just it was I'm just shocked that that the writer liked this version but then I never read the book so maybe maybe that's what she wanted to show was how fragile Marilyn was and it was just very one-sided and I I'm disappointed for Anna de Armas because I do think she was amazing you know so but you tell me what did you think uh, I think I'm muted. There we go. No, I can um, hear you. well, um, I, I thought it was trash. Uh, I thought, I thought it was almost beginning to end trash and I haven't read the book, so I don't know where it all fell apart, whether the book was trash to begin with, or this male director took the book and said, I'm just going to tell this in a slightly different way, but I thought it was trash. I, I you know, I think with the Me Too movement, we've been trying to move to a different place. And that, um, that I, was it you that was saying to me something about how sometimes, you know, there are things now that are being labeled as anger porn. And mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought that this was a, a way to take misogyny. If you're a misogynist and you really just don't have an opportunity to see as much happening in your workplace or whatever, and that it gave you an opportunity. Um, and, and so I called it misogyny porn and I was like, Oh, it's, it feels kind of like it's a, you know, double, d- double dipping there. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, not to get into another discussion, but I do think that there is some porn that isn't misogynistic, very small amount. Um, mm-hmm. but this was definitely misogynistic and it, and I felt that it was disgusting and it left me sick to my stomach and I felt bad for not for Marilyn Monroe. Cause I felt it was a very unfair uh, depiction of her, but I felt bad for Anna Diarmas because mm-hmm. I felt like she was an actress who was really trying to portray someone, but she was given the worst script and the worst direction on the face of the planet. I happen to love Bobby Cannavale. I, I love too. just about everything he ever does. And, and when he came in, clearly as Joe DiMaggio, although they're not calling that, and I think they were not calling it that so that they don't get sued, um, mm. is, what, is what I think. And Because if I was a relative of any of the people who were depicted in the movie, I would be suing them. Um, mm-hmm. But... But there's a moment in the film where I, I think the director, there were, you know, one of the other things about the direction of it was it was constantly like, how clever can I be? And, and how, you know, I'm shooting through a, a thing so you're seeing, a, you know, a, a, a lighting effect um, so that you can't really see what's happening and you're seeing a mirror shadow just over and over and over. And I, I love it when a director is showing us a different point of view, but if you're doing it for a reason and we'd be in color in one scene and then we'd be in black and white, but eventually I just got used to the fact that it was a clown car of techniques that we're going to use to show the scene and none of them have a rhyme or a reason to them and they're all abusive. But then and I thought I'd just gotten over it. Like you couldn't surprise me anymore. And then we have the scene with Bobby Cannavale uh, where he gets upset and 
oh, this director just loves the fisheye lens. I just want to slap mm. him. I want to <laughs> slap him into the middle of next week and say, oh, you little small boy who somebody gave a camera to um, that should be working somewhere in a Walmart, not, and you know, that discredits working in a Walmart. I, I just really was turned off, but destroyed the whole storyline with Bobby Cannavale because it turned it into something that reminded me of Yosemite Sam or Wiley e. Coyote. It turned it into a cartoon. It just, and, and I, you know what? I want to cry foul on everyone who worked on that film that you didn't step up and say to this director who does not have enough credits to just go carte blanche on this kind of crap. And it was, it was crap. It was just mm -hmm. crap. Um, I was offended by it. Here's something fun. I once for an entire year was part of a company where I shared a dressing room with the third roommate that her, mm. she was roommates with Marilyn Monroe and Shelley Winters. And I heard stories. Uh. And what I walked away from that with was that Marilyn Monroe, she said, hands down, Marilyn Monroe was the smartest person in the room always. And that mm -hmm. Marilyn always had this thing where she was like, watch, I'll turn it on. That she could just yeah. be just plain person and that she would flip a switch and she'd go watch. And, I'll, and everybody in the room will turn and look at me. That she knew mm -hmm. when and how is it and and it's funny because the film refers to both of those things at least twice but it's mm -hmm. like the director didn't even read his own freaking script because mm -hmm. we saw no evidence of it just you know we saw arthur miller or the person playing mm -hmm. arthur miller and by mm -hmm. the way what a great cast what a great right? supporting cast you had all the right ingredients i just say ha put uh, on this director, yep. you should not be allowed to direct again. I went to look at what he'd done before and I hadn't seen any of it. And you know what? I won't. I won't yeah. because yeah. he's I've just decided that his stuff is trash and that's it's offensive. How You're right. It was offensive. And I have to say it's the weirdest thing about how protective um uh women and feminists are of Marilyn Monroe. Because she was this, you know, she was so many more things, but of course she was presented as this goddess uh, and this, you know, screen, you know, sex pot, but she was, you know, she was this multifaceted person that was really, you know, it's just tragic. And I, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Just not, not my cup of tea. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was so offended and I, I just was bleh about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but speaking of bleh, uh, let's let's go into our different categories of things that we watched. Let's start with you about what were your things that were a no, and tell us why. My nopes, my nopes. Um, well, <laughs> I I watched uh, Candy, which was a yes. What surprise? Moira watched another true crime thing, um, and it's about, about housewife Candy Montgomery, and she uh, murdered Betty Gore, the wife of. Candy's lover. Candy was having an affair with Betty's husband, and this is in 1980. Um, Candy is played by Jessica Biel, and Betty is played by Melanie Linsky. Both ladies are amazing, and I will watch whatever they're in, but I just felt like ultimately it lingered over the gruesomeness of the murder, and, um, and I feel like maybe... 
true crime is at an oversaturation point now. I'm not sure. I don't know. I have more to say in my, in my wow category about that, but this was, um, it was bothersome because I think watching the, the results of the real trial and, you know, I mean, the dramatization of the real trial, at least we did get to see the specter of Betty in the background, kind of watching the farce of a trial. And it reminds us that she remains without an advocate. And the epilogue of the story is that Candy in real life has now become a mental health counselor. And I'm like, wow, not that I don't want people to have a redemption, but I felt like there were just so many things about it that I did not understand of why she behaved the way she did and um, did not like her. uh, It just, yeah, it just sort of left me a little flat. So that was, that was one of my, one of my nopes. Um, and then <laughs> one day, the next one could not get through was the host, which I, um, it's a Stephanie, it's based on another Stephanie Myers book. She was the twilight author. And of course there was the big craze and, you know, and, uh, I'm not surprised that they went and tried to do this. This is from 2013. So it's older. Um, and you know, none of the twilight things were particularly good, but they were, I don't know, escapist, whatever. There was a lot of problematic things about them, but it, my daughter was at that age where everybody was reading them. So of course I read them. And then she went on to read the host after she'd read twilight and I did not read it. And, but even at 12, my girl was not impressed with the host. And then I texted her to say, I'm watching the host on, on HBO or whatever it was, Netflix. And she's like, she, I got a one word response. Why? (laughs) I'm like, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> and I, could, I couldn't even get through it. We've got the wonderful Sorsha Ronan, but it's so very, very bad. And um, the best thing about it where they had these really cool looking sports cars that had a mirror finish that was awesome. That, that's the only thing I could say. The sports cars were cool. But other than that, it's 25 minutes of my life I will never get back. So that's my new. And, so, and then I was trying, because this is, you know, we're coming up on Halloween. I was trying to find, you know, oh, well, let's look at some scary movies and whatnot. So I watched the trailer for the Babadook or Babadook. And it's, it was terrifying. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I know I'm a true crime queen. I love the true crime stuff but I'm a big scaredy cat. And I watched that trailer and I was like, nope, nope. You know, and it, it looked amazing. It's just creepy. It was a child in jeopardy, but it was also like, is the child, you know, is there something going on with the child and the mom's all alone and there's shadows and the light goes off and you see somebody, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, no, thank you. Not going to watch that. But if that is your thing, it looks like from the trailer, it looks fabulous, but I wouldn't be able to sleep for a week. So that was like, Cannot do that. Can you know? Not my not my thing. So that's my yeah. nope category. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I could see any of these. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but for my nope category, what's interesting about my nope cat- category is that one of the reasons why they're nose is because I feel like there was there were things in them that held so much promise, but the delivery of it was so bad that it made it a hard no for me. That I'm telling people not to bother. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, the first one is I used to be famous and I came across this on Netflix and I was so excited to see it. And because I watched the trailer and I saw that it featured a young man who's a, uh, a drummer, a musician 
on the spectrum. And I quickly looked up, is this authentic representation? And it was. There's a, a young man who's neurodiverse and who is a musician and a drummer. And he was picked to play this. And it's a, I think it's a relatively small indie film. But you know what? It's one of, there's a certain class of movie that's out right now that can be wildly successful or fall flat on its face where, uh, where somebody who is, uh, you know, an, an artist in their own right says, I have this script either that I wrote or that a friend is going to direct and they convince the studio to put some money behind it to do it. And it really is meant to showcase that individual. And that's really what I feel about this. And I don't even remember the name of the artist that it's supposed to showcase, but the, but the storyline is, is that there's this guy, I mean, it has a great hook to it. You really feel like it could go someplace, but it's a guy who was in a boy band and at the top of his career and then, and we get to see him at the top of his career. And now he is somebody who can't get anything together. He's not paying his rent. He's, you know, he busks on the street and plays and nobody's interested in what he has, has to say or what he's singing. But inadvertently, he's on the street and he's trying to play something on his keyboard. And this kid walks up and starts, pulls out drumsticks and starts to play on the bench. And he gets this funky beat going and they start to improv off of each other and it's really cool and they draw a crowd. So mm. great, great, wonderful. And now things are going to happen for them. But here's the problem. The script is so bad. It, everybody is so trapped in, in these boxes of uh, that are unimaginative. You're either black or white. There's no gradation of anything right and which is just so oh like freshman um I, I just wish somebody who knew something about screenwriting had been able to take the screenplay and said here's where we're going to go with this because i think it could have been great and the kid was dynamite the kid was the best thing in the film but i gotta tell you more that the the woman that they had playing his mother what she was given to work with was so stereotypical about you know, I'm going to protect my kid no matter what, but it was filled with all of this stuff that made no sense. I'm going to protect him no matter what, but I have no idea where he is. He's running the streets of, you know, I don't know where they were, London or wherever, and she had no idea where he was half the time, but I'm so protective of him, which I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't match up for me. Sorry. And then she allows him to hang out with the guy because things are going to go well, but she keeps saying no, no, because you're going to hurt my son. And it just like, uh, I just, I, I thought the way it, it handled that was just so stereotypical and not imaginative and not based in anything that's real. And the real kicker for me is that the lead guy, we're supposed to believe that he was this big boy band star and that he has this career ahead of him as a singer. But when we finally hear him sing, the guy's not good. He doesn't have the chops to pull it off. The kid does. He's the mm -hmm. only one in the film that has the chops. And I hope that this film doesn't hold him back from doing other roles because he was lovely in the film. If you could silo him out, great. Otherwise, I say don't waste your time. It goes nowhere. It's ridiculous. Um, and, and it's just bad. Bad script, bad direction. And a performer who isn't able to pull off what the story tells which is the cardinal sin of anything. Now, my other no was Mr. Harrigan's phone. This is the new Stephen King 
um, thing. And it really is this very bizarre movie because it's almost like he was writing this really beautiful story and I was totally into it about this young boy whose mother dies young and this older gentleman who hires him to come read to him and they discuss life together. And the older gentleman is Donald Sutherland. And if this isn't his last film, it's clear that it's going to be one of his last films because he's getting on. And, Mm -hmm. And he does a lovely job in it. And the relationship between the boy and the older guy really, I think beautifully done, beautifully directed. So why, why is this in the nope category? Because you reach a point in the film where Stephen King went, oh, all right, you need me to be Stephen King. What can I do to this to make it creepy and weird and, and have you at the edge of your seat? But he just phoned it in. Mm. It didn't make Mm. any sense at all. And, and you were left going, but what, but why, but what? What do we say? Like, it it didn't even make sense. And it's almost mm-hmm. like everybody went, ah, it's Stephen King. Nobody will notice. Nobody will care. Nobody will. And it, and it literally, like, the whole movie just kind of collapses in on itself and, and goes, like, on a bus to nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. So tragically, after, after the full first half of the movie, they laid such good brickwork for something really stupendous. And then it was just stupid. It was just mm-hmm. stupid and superfluous. So I'm saying don't waste your time, um, which is too bad. It could have been really yeah. good. But those yeah. are my notes. Don't Shall we move notes. on to... Uh, well, let's do it. To the meh category. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell There's us your my meh. meh. Meh category. And, you know, again, not this is... They're not a nope. They are definitely not a nope. But it's just like, okay. You know, the one I liked, uh, I mean, the one I watched was Do Revenge. And I did enjoy it, but it was also kind of forgettable in a way. Um, It was an homage definitely to Mean Girls, Heathers, Clueless. And if you've you've never seen Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, you should. This this Mm -hmm. film kind of borrows a bit from that. Um, so we start, we focus on Drea Torres, played by Camila Mendez, who's the queen bee, but she's not without her vulnerability. She's a Latino scholarship student at a very wealthy prep school. She's smart and ambitious, but she's insecure about her status. And as a result, she makes the monumental mistake of sending a sexy video to her very popular boyfriend, which event, it, it goes viral, of course. And, um, the brilliant thing is her her popular boyfriend acts like he's an ally and he creates a group to support women who this has happened to. And he and his friends are actually just creepy misogynist high school boys. Um, so that was kind of an interesting little twist on that. And now enter Eleanor, played by Maya Hawke, um, a new student who's awkward and she's an outsider and she's still stinging from a long ago summer camp trauma. And the two pair up and decide to do revenge. So they each target the other person's perpetrator. And um, and that way they'll be perfectly alibied when they take them down. And um, it, it involves a makeover scene, because you know, we gotta have a makeover scene, love those. It involves some comeuppance for those who deserve it. And then also some comeuppance for those who don't. And I kept mm. trying to figure out which of these two girls was JD, the character that Christian Slater played in Heathers. And I liked that that I was unable to figure that out. 
Um, and then I like that they cast Sarah Michelle Geller as the principal, you know, of the school, mm -hmm. kind of a nod to Buffy. But ultimately, it didn't outshine the movies that it was doing homage to. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say don't watch it, but I, I don't feel compelled to rewatch it where I will rewatch uh, Heathers <laughs> for sure, <laughs> you know. So that was that was a meh. And then keeping with the Halloween theme, I went, I found this on Hulu and it's called Bite Sized Halloween. And it's uh, three, three seasons of uh, series of short films that are like no longer than two minutes and 30 seconds. Some of them go up to about eight minutes or so. So there's like 28 of them or something in the first season. And I skipped around. I didn't watch all three seasons. Um, but it could be kind of a fun thing to have on when you're, you know, handing out candy or whatever. Some of the um, the little vignettes were successful and some were not. And I think the more successful ones were like, like a little miniature Twilight Zone episode, you know, and I was like, oh, that's good. But there were a lot that I'm like, okay, you know, I guess that happened, you know, kind of thing. So, and it was quirky. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, depends on your kid. I feel like there's some things that your kid could watch, but some of them I was like, Ooh, you know, so mm. it was weird. It was an odd, odd collection, but you know, Halloween, right? <laughs> so that was, I love that, that. was my Halloween. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to advance. I don't know if it's going to work for me. I don't know why it's not working for me, Traven. Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. Here okay. We go. So my meta category uh, you know, and both of these things, there are things about them that I quite liked. Um, but in but in the end, um, there are things about them that aren't getting it done for me. So I had started watching The Bear a couple of months ago, and we just, I liked the first episode, but for whatever reason, we just didn't come back to it. And then, hmm. um, as many of you know, I was down with COVID, and, and I needed things to watch. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to revisit that, because I've heard good things about it, and I'm going to watch it, and I love... Um, some of the actors that are in it and, and, you know, there was some deep character work in it that I just thought, and I enjoyed the cooking aspect of it that I'm going to watch it. But I got to be honest that I felt like, um, of course, the arc of this series that it just lost steam, that they mm. didn't know where they wanted to go with it. And ultimately they drove it right into the ditch that um, the one leading woman character that I just loved in the first couple of episodes, they it was like they didn't know where to go with her. And I felt that a lot of her scenes had an, I don't know whether it was just poorly directed or whether they were trying to have this improvisational feel to it. But I, I love Diane Keaton, but I hate it when a director lets Diane Keaton just run. Because mm. Diane Keaton loves to do that thing where she's like, oh, well, you know, I mean, you know, I, mm. I just, I, I, and I, and I hate that. I hate mm. that. I mean, you do a little bit of that in life, but when you're watching a film, you're seeing a condensed moment. And if it's half the movie as well, you know, I mean, ah, you, you know, it takes up space mm. in the movie. And this mm -hmm. young woman, I feel like somebody just let her go to that space too. And when we see Diane Keaton with a director who understands how to use Diane Keaton, you don't see any of that. And, mm -hmm. and Diane Keaton like is firing in all pistons and she's a brilliant actress. So to me, when I see that, I go, Oh, director didn't show up that day. And I felt like this sort of faltered and, and that ultimately where the series ended, I, I felt like, it, you know, talk about deus ex machina, that all these things that you were, I was sort of waiting, like, how is this ever going to be better? 
how is this ever going to be? And and how they got us there was had to be the stupidest plot twist that I've ever. I was so angry. I was like, you know <laughs> what? I'm not. What? No. It was almost <laughs> as bad as Mr. Harrigan's phone, and I was offended by it. And so that's why it went on the meh list. There's some good work mm. in it, but mm, not for me. Yeah. And then the good fight, you know, I'm in, this is season six has finally come out. And this was the thing that I was looking forward to on last month's and I couldn't wait to watch it. I'm not done with the season, so I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you that I'm, you know, what, six, seven episodes in. And if you don't watch this show, this was a spinoff of The Good Wife and which was on regular network television and was a pretty popular show. And Christine Baranski, her character is Diane Lockhart. It was so good that, uh, you know, they wanted to make sure that there was a spinoff, that we could see her. She is a very liberal attorney who's fighting for people's rights and women's rights. And I love that in this series, she, she falls in love. Her leading man is played by Gary Cole, and he oh. plays as, as right-wing um, he works for the NRA. He is mm -hmm. like totally right wing. She is the most democratic person. He is the most Republican and they are mad white hot in love with each other. And it just makes me so happy. It, mm -hmm. it, like, you know, it's, it's that, um, James Carville and I can't think what his wife's name is. Oh, I think she's a, you know, I say about? that's probably yes. wrong. No, the I actress. think you're, I think you're at least mostly right. No, no, no. But it's, it's something <laughs> like that. Something but, like that. I, <laughs> Yes, but it's, 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 you know, it, it gives me hope for our world when I get to see people like that. And that's just one slice of the story. They show things that are loosely based on real things that are happening in the world. And there's a lot of social justice in it. And it's a very thought provoking show for me. And I don't know whether it was, I think it was season three that they did that it had this sort of Dallas throwback thing where Diane comes into work one day and 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 it's this thing where it's an alternative reality where Trump didn't win the election and Hillary is president. And uh. and you go through this thing in the and they don't make it all hearts and flowers and roses. And mm -hmm. and and in the kerfuffle of it, the Me Too movement was lost because Hillary was president. There was no need for the Me Too movement or so everybody said. Right. Um, right. So. And it was this season where I sat on the edge of my seat as they were all these things. It was so thought provoking and it was kind of amazing. And then eventually she wakes up and realizes, mm. okay, the reality is that Hillary didn't win, but she has a different appreciation for the fact that things happen and, you know, you deal with them. So we, mm -hmm. we left the last season at, with this cliffhanger and, and we've come back to this season and the cliffhanger is completely gone and everything is a little weird. Everything is a little bit off. You don't know why they are, where they are. They have new partners and you find yourself going, is this another dream sequence or not? And there's all these weird things that happen. And I'm six episodes in and waiting for them to reveal that it is yet another dream sequence. And I think the point is to tor torture us, wondering, is it a dream sequence or are we ever going to hear how we got here. I just am not liking it. It's, it feels like yeah. a waste of my time. It feels like it's not true to the series. And I feel like I'm being toyed with. And I, as a, yeah. as a viewer, I'm not into that. 
maybe mm. for a few, like an hour, but six episodes right. in, I, I'm, I, and I love mm. all the actors on this and I'm so disappointed because I think this is the last season and I'm like, haka to meh. Meh. But there are some <laughs> still some really good stuff in it. I don't want to discredit yeah. that there it is a good show. Okay. It is. It is. All right. All right. Moving on let's get, to the wow. Let's get to the wows. Um, yeah. well, I was talking about true crime earlier. And mm -hmm. um and the reason I have Dahmer on my wow list is not because of Jeffrey Dahmer but because of the conversations that are happening around this series that I think are really super important. You know, um, if you're not familiar with Dahmer, he was a serial killer in the 70s and, and early 90s, through the early 90s in Milwaukee, who murdered, dismembered, and ate some of his victims. Um, I'd heard of some of the, I'd heard also in the news that some of the victims' families were not very happy about the dramatization of their personal pain and trauma. And I, that's something I definitely wrestle with, with my fascination with true crime. Um, I don't like sens sensationalizing serial killers and giving them catchy comic book villain names. But I also, you know, I also don't want the families to be hurt again. But I feel like these stories are important for us to learn from, to prevent, to hopefully catch whoever's out there. Now, Dahmer is played by Evan Peters, and he nails that disconnected, socially awkward um, Dahmer and his Milwaukee accent. Um, however, the show reaches an amazing heights, in my opinion, with the performance of Niecy Nash as Dahmer's neighbor, Glenda Cleveland. Um, the first episode features uh, Sean Brown, an actor Sean Brown playing a victim who escapes Dahmer and leads and leads police to Dahmer's arrest. Um, and that that first episode was riveting. And um, he runs for help. And for the moment where he comes across a patrol car, of course they make him raise his hands and get on his knees because he's he's African American. And I was just like, oh, you know, watching it. And then Nisi Nash's response and his response when the officers finally discover what's going on and this house of horrors that is his apartment is just it's amazing um and i think we need to have this conversation about portraying um real life trauma and i and these families were not contacted about the production which i think is a mistake and i think um some felt the portrayal was really inaccurate and then some felt it was too accurate and it was traumatizing for that reason so i feel like that's that's a big thing that we need to talk about and you know whoever's making these please do your do do your due diligence you know and then i'm somebody who knows more than i should about serial killers but uh, i did not know some of these very upsetting details i didn't know like in the other cases i've read you know, it's always, oh, we're trying to find him and we know all these murders are happening and we need to figure out what's going on. I mean, because, you know, the Green River Killer, Ted Bundy, they knew, you know, the Golden State Killer, they knew these things were happening. They were connecting them. And it was about trying to figure out how do you solve this puzzle when the, when the victims are random, you know, and that makes it very difficult. Um, th th that's what I'm interested in. How do you prevent it? But here's the thing. Nobody was even looking for Dahmer. Nobody was looking for him. And um, they, you know, they came across him by accident. Like I said, his, so the victim escaped. And the reason for the disinterest, the victims were mostly gay men of color. Mm -hmm. 
And that is something we need to talk about. And mm -hmm. I think they are, true crime is trying to be more aware of that as a genre um, in terms of, you know, like Dateline just did something about the missing and indigenous the women, missing indigenous women and, um, and how they've got a higher rate of being murdered and disappearing, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, yes, we need to focus on that. It can't be that there are parts of our society that are disposable, you know, and that, and that's an important conversation to have. Um, and then Dahmer's neighbor complained about him multiple times. She was even present when another of his victims, a 14-year-old boy named Conorak, bless his heart, he escaped. The police are called, but who do they believe? Not Dahmer's African-American neighbors. They believe Dahmer. Mm. And the boy is returned to his apartment. Mm. And so Dahmer uses his whiteness and the homophobia of the police department to his advantage. And it's not even that hard. You know, that's the thing. It wasn't even that hard what he was able to do. And that's another thing we need to talk about. So that's why it's in my wow category. I, I just, I'm fascinated by all of this, but I, I just know we just need to do better. And law enforcement has to, you know, has to be more educated. And like actually the recent case with Gabby Petito, um, she was a gal that went missing and then it turned out her fiance had killed her. Um, and there was a traffic stop that could have saved her life, but the cops sided with the guy, you know, and I, and I think part of that was their bias and we need to be aware of our bias biases and, and do better. So that's why it's in my wow category. It also has, uh, uh, Richard Jenkins is in it. Um, uh, Penelope Ann Miller and, uh, uh, Molly Ringwald. I mean, it's just like an odd cast, but ultimately I I, it was most successful when it was not focusing on him and it was focusing on the families. So that's, that's why it's in my wow category, but, um, dairy girls, the opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> away from the serial killers, but going to Northern Ireland during, during the troubles. And, um, I, if you have not watched this series, you must watch this series. Um, you may have to put on subtitles cause they do have very thick accents, um, but it's, it's hilarious. And I, I cried at the end of the series and I did not expect to cry. It's mm. a coming of age story about these teens who live in Derry, which, uh, is called London Derry for depending on your political persuasion. Um, and it, it was delightful and touching. And a lot of times what was going on with the troubles was not even as important as, you know, oh, will the guy like me? And, you know, all the real life is happening all the time. And I read articles about um, Lisa McGee, who is the creator of this, and she grew up in Derry. This is semi-autobiographical for her. And she said, yeah, I didn't think it was weird until I moved to London and I started telling people these stories and everybody's jaw would drop like, what? You know, you lived through what? Barricades? Massacres? I mean, they, you know, they it it was it's incredible and um they they uh the thing i loved was also was that there was they showed footage of the final acknowledgement of back i think it was 2012 when they finally acknowledged that the 1974 i think or 72 bloody sunday where they massacred a bunch of people that it actually was a massacre because it had been presented as oh no the british army was you know, being, you know, snipers and Molotov cocktails and whatnot. And they did a, a, a deep investigation and determined that, no, it was actually a massacre. 
and having that publicly acknowledged, get it get choked up now was a beautiful thing. And, and I love that she put that in there. And one of the articles I read about Lisa McGee was that she talked to the families uh, that were involved in that particular massacre and basically got their thumbs up of like, are you okay with me showing kind of the apology for this? Mm -hmm. And they were okay with it. So I, I was just delighted, delighted with this series and I highly recommend it. I'll watch it all over again. Well, I happen to agree with you um, mm -hmm. because it's on my wow list too. I had watched the first two seasons of it when season two came out. I discovered mm -hmm. season one like right as, this, as they were advertising season two and thought it was hilarious and had to call one of my friends who I knew would find it hilarious and we were watching it together and I absolutely had to watch it with the subtitles, but I think it's some of the best writing and direction that, you know, everybody always talks about His Girl Friday, that um, how the, the direction and the writing of it and how clever and whatever. And I think Dairy Girls puts it to shame. Um, it's so fast paced and to see, you know, and to get everybody's stories in, in the way that it does is hilarious. It's just beautifully done. It's like a really good dance. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was surprised that we were going to see a season three, it sort of all of a sudden when I was seeing it everywhere, I was like, why is Dairy Girls in the top 10 on Netflix? It's been out forever. You know, like what happened that everybody's watching it again? Because for those of you who are Bridgerton fans, one of the girl who, um, I can't remember what the character's name is in Bridgerton, but the one of the girls also plays one of the leading roles in Bridgerton. The one mm -hmm. who's actually writing the, um, the, the thing that makes everything happen in Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and it's the opposite end of who, you know, she's playing a character that's vastly different from her. But um, then when I realized, oh no, it's that they have a new season. I got to say, I was a little like scratching my head going, really? Because um, some of these girls who are playing 17 year olds are turning like 29 and 30. And I thought, I thought, are they really going to be able to pull that off? And I got to say, and this is harsh, but I'm going to say this. They didn't always, you know, you had to suspend disbelief a little bit and go, okay, I believe that they're 17 year olds, but it was worth it because it is this wonderful dance of seeing the juxtaposition of what's happening in their world and how they are translating that into the minutia of being a teenager is absolutely brilliant and great writing. When I was in high school, in my fi final year of high school, it was during um, when there were the hostages in e Iran, in Iran, Iraq. Mm. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not politically literate. But every single day that I was in high school, you know, the news was on and you saw someone in a blindfold and it had a thing that said day 45, day 55. And I feel like it shaped all of us who, who we ended up being as we went to college, because it was this thing about you could be in a foreign country and you could be taken hostage for days on end and, and not immediately be sent home. And, and, you know, I, I think that changed us. And to see how an ongoing conflict in Northern Ireland was dealt with by these young people who were trying to, you know, listen to their punk and new wave music and, and finding both the poignancy and, and, and the humor of it, I thought was absolutely brilliant. I will say that I did not like the last episode. 
I was, I was not, I did not, I was not having it. It did not make me happy. I know everybody else loved it, but I did not love it. I'm just going to say, um, and I know I can hear the shock in your voice, Moira, but <laughs> I was not, I was not in tears. I was banging my fist on the table going, no. Um, cause I felt like there was a stronger play, but you know, it was cute. Um, but, uh, also in my wow category if you have not watched the empress oh 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 oh. um this is a a german um mini series which i believe has already been um greenlit for season two and it's probably the best thing i've seen in a year wow um it's so good like the acting in it, the script, it's based on, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know if I have to say loosely, it's based on historical fact uh, in a time period where things were changing in Germany. And I'm learning so much because it's a time in Germany when I wasn't aware of everything that was happening, but it's absolutely stunningly beautiful and amazing. The costumes it's like Bridgerton, but less fluff and more substance. Mm. And it's so good. It's just delicious. Every bit of it. And the way it ends, I'm always talking about, you know, did we lay, land the plane correctly? Mm. And we can, we can agree or disagree, but I don't think the plane landed correctly with Dairy Girls. Eh, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, but they land the plane with the end of season one with the Empress. So I am literally going to sit and count the days until I can see season two. It is so amazing. And I think empowering for women um, and beautifully shot. It is the, they must've spent so much money. It is stunning. And, mm. and the acting is beautiful. The directing is beautiful. It's good stuff. Really good stuff. Highly, highly recommend. And then the last thing in my wow category that I am just over the moon about and can't let go of is uh, Welcome to Wrexham. If you know mm. the story behind this, it, you know, I got to say that I've always been a bit of a Ryan Reynolds fan. I'll watch any movie with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. I, I didn't think that he walked on water, but... I, you know, I'll, I think he's engaging whenever he's doing whatever, his sort of sarcastic kind of humor. I almost love every movie that he's ever been in. There are a couple of exceptions. Um, and I had never seen an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but Rob McKenney, uh, and I'm gonna, I slaughtered his name just now, but um, he made a decision that sports were such a big part of his life. He's originally from Philadelphia, and he wanted to know what it would take to buy a sports team. And he found that there is uh, like one of the oldest soccer teams in existence in Wrexham, which is in Wales, and oh. that that this team was a was about to lose everything because financially they were in such tough shape. And he said, I want to buy this team. And he started to go down that rabbit hole and he realized that as a TV star, he didn't have enough money. He says on all these interviews, I had TV money and I realized that not only did I need TV money, but I needed mega superstar, you know, big uh, Marvel superhero and own a gin company and a telecommunications company money to be able to earn. <laughs> so he went to Ryan Reynolds and said, how about you come in with me and we buy this team? And originally mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds was like, what 
is wrong with you? What are you <laughs> thinking? But what this is, season one, and it's all out now as of, I think, the other day, Welcome to Wrexham documents everything that happens as they buy the team and go through their first season as owners of this team. And what's oh. amazing is that they say from the beginning, we're doing this for lots of different reasons, but it isn't just about the team. It's not just about the game. There is a town mm -hmm. that but, its industry yeah. is this, and the town is depressed and folding in on itself, and we want to make this town come back alive. It's like a social experiment. It mm -hmm. is so good. There's 16 episodes in season one. There's short episodes and they're not all like Emmy award winning, but there are a couple that are. And in each one has a different take. Like sometimes they're explaining soccer to you, but there is <laughs> one episode where they just focus on why men love sports and that it's oh. rooted in this social experiment that it's because of the relationship that it helped them to connect to other men, usually their father, sometimes usually their fathers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it is some of the best, most exciting television. I think you'll see you, they, they tell, they do good storytelling throughout where you meet people in the community and you see how rooting for a team or working for a team and how it changes their lives uh, to the point where tomorrow I'm subscribing to ESPN two so that I can watch Wrexham play tomorrow. You can now, bundle it. You can bundle it with Disney plus and Hulu. <laughs> well, I already have Disney plus and Hulu. So I, ah. I might already have it, but I don't watch sports. I'm not a ah. sports person and I certainly don't watch soccer. And this, I am so, I, I, I'm so into it. I got to watch. They're playing tomorrow. <laughs> so fabulous. Well, by the time you guys watch it, they'll have already played. But it is so good, and I now want Ryan Reynolds to run for president. I keep waffling back and forth. I'm like, no, maybe I want Rob to run for president and mm. Ryan to just consult, or or maybe it's the other way. Ryan needs to run for president, and Rob is like his vice president. I don't know. But these two men and what they have done um, and how I'm, I'm sure it's all, they make it look a certain way, but... It's funny, it's witty, and they're on the right side of things. And it fills me with so much hope what oh. they have done for this community. It's so good, you guys. It's so oh. good. It's delightful. So that's how I feel about that. Well, oh, I got I new, I new stuff to add to my list, for sure. Yes. That's oh, my gosh. you got to watch The Empress. But I, I'm telling you, I think you could sit down and watch Welcome to Wrexham with the guys in your life. Mm -hmm. And and everybody will get something different of it, but I I'm totally devoted to those two men now. I oh. wanted to get a Wrexham shirt to wear to do on the show, but I am going to get a Wrexham shirt um, because I just love it so much. I'm a hardcore fan now. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's how I feel about that. Ask me how I really feel. Uh, we're right. getting down to time. Okay, so ah. what are you looking forward to? Looking forward to Interview with the Vampire. Um, this was, uh, I read the books back in the day, loved the books. Um, I was one of those people that was furious that Tom Cruise had been cast as Lestat and then sort of warmed to him and thought, okay, well, he really went for it and that's fine. But I got to tell you, I watched I watched two episodes, actually. I started it. And I am loving the, the oh, Sam Reed, I think his name is. Oh my God. I mean, it's just, 
I love it. It's very sensual. It's all, you know, right now we're all in New Orleans and it's, and they've changed the series a bit. So people that are fans of the book, it's not the book exactly, but I, yeah. So I'm looking forward to, and, and I found out cause I thought I was going to have to subscribe to AMC plus, but I'm able to watch it on the, my dish network video on demand for free. So, and the, with the occasional commercial, but not, not too bad. So, cause I'm like, I already have too many streaming things. I don't need another streaming thing. So anyway, so that's what I'm looking forward to in keeping with my Halloween theme <laughs> interview with the vampire. How about you? Uh, and so I am looking forward to, I, sometimes I like a shorter film and mm -hmm. I came across this as I was looking at things that are about to come out and it's a movie called then Barbara met Alan and it's being hailed as one of the most inclusive films that's ever been made. The cast is very diverse in terms of their abilities and that it's a love story about a woman in a wheelchair who meets a guy who's not in a wheelchair and, and apparently mayhem ensues. And I don't know much more about it than that, but you know, you had me at diverse cast, right? <laughs> and, because I want to see, I, I just, I just feel like, um, this is where Hollywood needs to go and Hollywood needs to see that this can be done and that it can be done really beautifully and wonderfully. So I'm really excited that, uh, I think it comes out in a couple of days on Netflix. It was something that was on the BBC and I'm super looking forward to it between okay. watching welcome to Wrexham and dairy girls. I like all I want is, is stuff where it's a British Welsh Scottish, or, or even with the Empress German accent, um, I've been walking around speaking in all these different accents. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And <laughs> then in our rewind category. Oh, yes. Well, in keeping with my theme, um, one a movie that I'll, if I come across it when I'm channel flipping, I'll watch it, is Silence of the Lambs. Um, it was, uh, at the time when it was released in the theaters in 91, we'd never seen anything like this, really. I mean, there had been, I mean, and really it was because there was a female FBI agent, you know, it was always the guy and the tough guy, blah, 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 you know, um, but having her, having Jodie Foster be the, you know, she was just so perfect for that part and you can see the wheels turning in her head and um, having the scenes between her and of course the fabulous Anthony Hopkins is you know, super villain Hannibal Lecter. Um, there, it just unnerving. I mean, the sound design is great in those scenes. There's this low frequency rumble that just puts you puts you on edge. Um, and she thought the thing I loved about this too, even when I had watched it originally, was she saw she saw things her fellow male agents did not see because she was looking at it. And I think that that's not a nice to have in law enforcement or in the world in general. It's a need to have, because you need to have, like we talk about diversity because of our kiddos and whatnot, but you need to have these other perspectives. And that's one of the reasons I love this. And it was thrilling to show this to my daughter and watch her be on the edge of her seat. You know, I was basically watching her watch the last sequence of the film because it was just, she was just like, oh no, you know, and it, Fabulous film, fabulous film. So that's if you can if you can take it if you can take the stress, it's a good one. Yeah, and, and I, I love the one you picked. Well, it's interesting because I've never been able. I've seen parts of Silence of the Lambs, but I know I can't take it. I know that I can't. I'm the I, like I would be up for weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, but I've seen you know parts of it. 
um, so that I can appreciate what an amazing film and the performances and stuff, but I, I can't do it. And it's interesting to me that I have that thing you do on the list because there are, I like to be transported someplace else when I'm watching a film. And, and it doesn't mean that you can't take me someplace place gritty. You can, but there are times when I need comfort Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm a real connoisseur of Christmas movies and there are Christmas movies that I love and that I'll watch over and over and over again. There's only one non-Christmas movie that I will watch whenever it's on. If I'm walking by, that's it for the day. I'm sitting and watching it. And that's that thing you do. And I thought for a lot of years that I was just weird and odd and that I was the only person. But the truth of the matter is, is there is a cult of us that get it. Mm-hmm. That um, I love that, Tom Hanks wrote this movie after coming off of Philadelphia when he was doing Apollo 13 and, you know, during his breaks, he was, he was writing this thing about this idyllic time in our past um, and what it was like to be a part of a band in the Beatles era, in the, in the early Beatles era and what it was like to be perhaps a one hit wonder and um, he wrote the film, he directed the film, he was very heavily involved in the casting. And as you know, I mean, I just love everybody in it, but I've always had a big soft spot for Jonathan Sheck. And then I got to meet him at the Taka, um, Ante Up, just a couple of weeks ago. And it was a big bucket list moment for me. And I oh, kind so of, um, it was like, like, I'm still not speaking to Lisa and you can tell her because Lisa knew that it was a big thing for me. And, and so when he walked up to me, he said, I hear you have a crush on me. And I was like, what? And, <laughs> and I, 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 I literally like, he watched the video. I'm like, what? Like, I, like, it was like, I didn't hear him. And he said, I hear you have a crush on me. And I, it was like, if you watch it, it's like my brain shorts out for a full, like maybe 10, 20 seconds. And I'm like, and then, then he started singing to me and I was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Equally because I didn't want to get slapped with a rights thing, but also because I was going to fall apart. And, <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 you mustn't do that to me. And it sort of reminded me of when Rosie O'Donnell finally got to meet Tom Cruise, if you ever oh, watched yeah. that episode. And, yes, she, I and did. she was like, my Tommy. And, yeah. and I just was having a real hard time. And I said, no, no, we're going to keep it professional. We're going to keep it locked down. And I was speaking that out loud. I didn't mean <laughs> to, but I was speaking it out loud because. Um, he's just so lovely in this film. And I've seen him yes. do other things. He's a wonderful, talented actor. But there's so many things about this film. And I'm, I, I, like, I'd be scared to tell you maybe how many times I watched this film. But it is my film when, when, you know, everything is a little bit low and I need something to bring me up. And it, it stands the, the test of time. During the pandemic, they, um, because the I'm going to get his name wrong, Andrew Schlesinger, I think, uh, mm-hmm. who wrote most of the music that got used in the ultimate film. Some of it was written by Tom Hanks, um, but uh, and a lot of the main vocals that are actually heard were, were, was this very talented young performer um, who, yeah, who... The Fountains of Wayne, right? Wasn't yeah. uh, the, yes, uh-huh, yeah. And, yeah. and early in the pandemic, he was one of the first people to die of COVID. And, and you watched was, the thing. There was a thing about it, right? Yeah. Like a, and so, yeah, I watched it too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the four guys from that thing you do said, we're going to raise money and we're going to get together and have a reunion on Zoom. And we're going to 
you know, because of copyright laws and whatever, the, you know, that the movie would be playing in another room and they said, start now and you could be watching with us and we're going to talk through, you know, everything, what we remember as it happened. And Tom Hanks wasn't available to do it, but Colin Hanks, who had been a production assistant on the film, was there too. Of course, it was scheduled at a time when I needed to be in a Zoom meeting, but I will admit that I did both at the same time. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and I was speaking for a large portion of Zoom meeting, but I was like, and then, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Um, and, and back to the thing, and I was recording on my phone so that if I missed anything, I, you know. Oh. I love this movie. I, I love the camera work in this movie. The director of photography is amazing in this movie, and it brings me to a time in my childhood that I can remember, that was that yeah. that I remember fondly, and it feels like the Beatles, and it's all of those things, but wrapped in a really wonderful message. I love everything about it. Well, I have uh, to tell you, in Orange, downtown Orange, Old Town, the mm -hmm. Circle, that's where a lot of stuff was shot, um, mm -hmm. and that's right near Chapman. And uh, so when my daughter started film school, she was like, we're in that thing you do, you know, <laughs> because they had all the, and it's, uh, I, we love that film. We love it's that great film. film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. That's a good one. I love it. it. Worth watching. And I wish Tom Hanks would direct more and I wish he would write more. I know he's busy doing other things, but I wish... I think that he has more of a talent for it. The thing about it is, is that I think when the movie came out, it was it was okay. Every, it was well received, but I, I didn't. I went and saw it and thought it was the most amazing thing, and went back and saw it like five more times. And um, and I wasn't hearing everybody else talk about how great it was, but it has really stood the test of time, and it does have this enormous following of people who mm -hmm. absolutely love it. Um, but I'm amazed at how many people didn't see it because they didn't hear it. And it's really well directed. I'm sorry it's if people disagree well with me, done. but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I, right? think, I think that the hotel that they stay in was mm -hmm. um, the Ambassador Hotel before I think it got torn down or repurposed. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and so I love that. I mean, I love that it's sort of some iconic places right you know, that you can kind right. of maybe do with that thing you do tour. <laughs> I, I just, I just loved it. And it was great to meet um, Jonathan and he's the real deal. And, Sweet. you know, he, he identified it as a, as a member of our tribe. And, um, and I, and I just uh, think that uh, he was delightful. And, you know, sometimes you meet people that you're like, oh, I'd love to meet them. And, and everybody was like, oh, I hope you're not disappointed. There was no disappointment at all. He was everything and more. And what a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. So that makes great sense to me. But great at playing a villain, at a villain that everybody falls in love with. You know, yes, he's, he's very yes. good at well, playing he's, a villain. He's alone in his principles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. exactly. Traven is, Traven's asking you a question. Is he? Ask, I yes, can't he's saying that. You want to play? You want to play the? No, you know, He said you want to play the clip. Do you have the clip of Shannon talking to? Do you want to play Shannon? it, Traven? Yeah. I, I mean, we're over time. Do you have time, Moira? I do. I I want to see it. Oh, it's, <laughs> I I like you can watch my brain go, and I literally go like numb. It's not great, <laughs> but go ahead, play it. Let's take a look. And now we put him on the spot. 
Uh, this is Shannon Um, Shannon making it ass of herself. I'm just glad they don't have footage of when I met Kristen Wiig because I kind of made a fool of myself. Oh, really? Because I love her so much. I just, I I lost my cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes. I lost my cool. That's all I can say. I am famous for opening my mouth and my brain falls out, but I still speak. When I met Shamar Moore (laughs) and he walked up to me and I was like, oh my goodness, you are one good looking man. And he was like, hey now. But at least I was still speaking. I lost the ability to like form a sentence when Jonathan Sheck walked up and I was, and I think I even say, I'm going to kill Lisa Ackerman. Because uh, <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, I hear you have a crush on me. I don't know. Are we going to be able to play it, Traven, or not? I, well, actually, I wonder if the, it's part of the clip. Um, it's available uh, online. You guys can Yeah, it's available. The, the anti-up uh, yes. red carpet stuff is available. So Look for you guys can go and look at it and, and watch we'll, me. I will make, watch it. Yeah. Oh, well, it won't play for us, but that's okay. We've okay, managed right. to get through today with a lot of weird tech stuff, but yes, it worked we out. Did. And, the magic and we're of Traven. Be, yes, yay, Traven. We're going to be back next month, and I personally, I'm going to make sure that in my rewind, I give my best Christmas, my favorite Christmas movie, the one that I always make sure that I see it's probably I will, I will not what the, you think. I will do the same. I will do the okay. same. And I am, in spite of all the murder and mayhem, I do like a real sappy, make me cry film. So oh. yeah, I will. I, I will do that. I'm all about it. Any minute now, I'm going to switch into Hallmark mode, and you guys won't see me for a while. And I and I do. I watch. I make a point of watching all of the new Hallmark movies that come out every year. Every single one of them. And I think this year it's like upwards of 30. So. Oh, wow. Um, Did you see the one last year that Holly Robinson Pete was in? Yes. I talked yeah. to her about it. I interviewed her, of course. Did I see it once or did I see it four times, Moira? Yes. Um, no, I'm all about that. She is right now away filming her Christmas movie for this year. I also watched Holly's the year before, which was The Christmas Doctor, which made me cry so hard. I was screaming at the television set. Oh, okay um, then. Yeah. And I talked with her about that on the red carpet at the anti-up for autism oh, uh, because fabulous. she was also there and she is a lovely human being. She's the lovely person. How she fabulous. Really is. Yeah. All right. Well, we did it. We did it. We did it. And thank you guys for sticking with us. Uh, Don't forget tomorrow we're back with Stories from the Spectrum. And we'll be back with Moira next month in November. If there's something you want us to review, write and tell us. If there's something you want us to put on the rewind list, uh, let us know. Moira, thank you so much. I so enjoy this time. Me too. Such a treat. Thanks so much for having me. All right. You take care. Everybody home, hug for you and a hug for your kiddos. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.